It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. That's some fun. Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Thanks for being with us. I'm Paul Dottino. He is Super Bowl champion putter Jeff Fiegels. We are so glad that you could join us today. Our phone number, and jot it down, is 973-667-1960. 973-667-1960. You can also find us on Twitter at hashtag GiantsChat. And later on, you can find an archive of the show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app. Podcast platforms everywhere and at Giants.com slash podcasts. Now, coming up later today at about 1245, we've got a very special guest. You guys have heard about Tide End University for the last couple of years. Me, Miami. Well, oh, wise guy. <laughs> Hurricane grad just can't help himself. It is. I mean, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Well, go ahead and finish like, your. Go ahead and finish, Paul. Much like linebacker, you is Penn State, right? I get yeah, it. Who cares about Penn State? All That's right. Just, yeah. All right. Anyway, <laughs> much, much has been written about over the last couple of years that uh, Greg Olson and George Kittle uh, have been the driving forces behind an off-season training school for tight ends, and they call it Tight End University. It is based in Nashville, Tennessee. And coming up at uh, 1245 today, which is about 45 minutes from now, if you're listening on the archive, you won't obviously have a point of reference for 1245. So I will tell you it's in about 45 minutes. We will have the trainer who is in charge of Tight End University, Jeremy Holt, who is with Athlete Performance Center uh, Mm. outside of Nashville. And he will come on and give us 15 minutes to discuss exactly what they have done at Tight End University. That three-day class that they had for, I guess it's well over two dozen NFL tight ends, was held about two weeks ago. And among those who attended, the Giants, uh, Kyle Rudolph, Evan Ingram, and uh, uh, Toilolo, all attended. Uh, tight end university so we thought that that would be a very interesting conversation to bring you some of the uh, facets of what these guys went through during their off-season training now before we get to that we will of course get to your phone calls at 973-667-1960 and we've got a couple of other interesting nfl topics to go over with you as well but in the meantime hello mr fiegels hello i'm so glad that you haven't melted into a pool of sweat what does that mean well, it's hot out there, <laughs> real hot out there. Well, it's not, not, not today. Today's fine. I mean, the other days I was melting into a pool of sweat, but that's really? okay. Well, yeah, yeah. You know what? This is you this... are aware it's eighty-two right now with a heat that's index fine. of ninety-two. Oh well, that's it's not ninety-two with a heat index of one hundred two. So I'm okay, Paul. I'm good. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm an air-conditioned uh, talking to you. Big blue kickoff live. John on the other side. What else can we ask for on a nice Thursday getting ready to get slammed by some hurricane? It's coming up the coast. <laughs> Supposedly, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, I was really looking forward. I was going to see a Johnny Maestro and the Brooklyn Bridge cover band tonight. And unfortunately, <laughs> I do believe that that's going to be rained yeah, out and well, will not happen. I, have, I had a huge golf tournament canceled tomorrow, so I'm not very happy about that either. Which, My sympathies. Way. Yeah. But, oh, well. By the way, if you, can, if you have looked at the calendar, it is July the 8th. And that is kind of relevant to a bunch of NFL teams still looking to do business. 
In fact, you've got a bunch of franchise tag players, including one very important one in the NFC East, which is of some significance to the Giants, uh, who have still not signed their franchise tags. And the deadline for these players to sign new long-term deals with their teams is July the 15th. And if they do not, okay, now they've got to sign their tag and play out the year under the one-year franchise tender. Now, quickly to go over this list, there's only a list of seven guys, but there is one guy who leads it off because he's in the NFC East. That is Washington All-Pro guard Brandon Sheriff, who would have a franchise tag of $18 bucks. He is still unsigned at this point, and I do believe that would be a very significant problem for that club should he not wind up playing on his tag this year. Quickly, the other guys, Chris Godwin, the receiver from the Bucks, who a lot of fans were calling up this show earlier during the offseason and saying he should be targeted by the Giants. Well, this guy still hasn't even signed his tag with the Bucks yet at nearly $16 million for a one-year deal. So that kind of tells you the problems that a team would have had trying to get him into the fold. Uh, Jets safety Marcus May, Panthers tackle Taylor Moulton, uh, Bears wide receiver Allen Robinson, another guy that so many Giants fans were saying, hey, go get him, go get him. Almost $18 million for his franchise tag, mm-hmm. and he remains uh, a problem right now contract-wise. So does Jaguars tackle Cam Robinson and Saints safety Marcus Williams. Uh, first up, Jeff, let's mm-hmm. talk about Sheriff because that is a big deal. Washington big probably deal. Big probably deal. will be the toughest contender for the Giants in the division, oh, yeah. and Sheriff is a very important part of what they want to do. Well, I mean, yeah, that's a lot of money, Paul. I mean, listen, and he's he's going to hold out and – until he gets it, you know. So, um, I listen. I, I think that he'll be back. He's going to have to play. I mean, how are you going to, you know, sit out for eighteen million bucks? I, I bet he'll sign it. But I don't think, you know, at this point, you know this, Paul. Where is everybody? There's nobody around. I mean, I, I mean, come on. So, you know, you're going to come back, and the fifteenth is the day. You're going to. There's no. Gonna, they're going to come back, and you'd be like, okay, I'm ready to sign this thing. And they're going to be like, well, you should have signed it two weeks ago because everybody left the building. There's nobody around in the National Football League right now. They're all fishing. They're at the beach. They're at the lake houses. They're everywhere. But for some reason, they would be able to find him um, if he does want to sign it. But, I I mean, listen, I think that's a lot of money. I think the Giants uh, would not have any type of money to go after someone like that. But I'll tell you what, it's for somebody that has it, they probably would have already done it, don't you think? You would think now Sheriff and Flowers are their two starting guards. Eric Flowers at left guard and, and Sheriff is their starting right guard. Well, they got uh, Flowers there, so that's a good uh, one. Well, their backup guards are Wes Schweitzer and Wes Martin. Two Wes's? I'll, perfe- I'll be perfectly frank with you. I don't know much about either one of those players other than they have first names of Wes. <laughs> That's right. And I can't believe that Ron Rivera would be very comfortable if either one of those guys had to start. And by the way, the, the, the Washington football team, or the red team as I like to call them, have approximately $16 million in cap state space available. Hmm. Well, um, what happens if he doesn't sign on July 15th? Then... Well, if he, do, if he doesn't sign his franchise tag and doesn't sign there then he cannot do a long-term deal mm-hmm. he has a, by he the has deadline. He's the got to the 15th. Deal. And he'll take the one-year deal. Which means then he's going to have to come in and sign the one-year one tag. Which is probably what's going to happen. 
I mean, I mean, why would anybody wait between now and then? You know, I, I would think a lot of this stuff would have already been been done. You know? Understand this, though, Jeff. If he does that, okay, his number is just over 18 mil. Mm-hmm. And the, their cap room is about 16. Okay. That's an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's always ways to get money. You know that. Yeah, there are. There are. But, That's I mean, obviously sure. the, the intent, if the team wants to do it, is to spread it out. And so, you know, that they don't get that $18 million cap hit this year. Um, but, you know, maybe they have something up their sleeve. Who knows? But he's a good one. He's a good one. And I'm sure that, like you said, Ron Rivera is probably not too happy knowing that he's sitting at home without a contract. Yeah. You know, Final he's... thought before we get to our first phone call, because we do have Bash on the line at 973-667-1960. And that is, how do you think all those fans feel who were screaming at signing Robinson and Godwin at the beginning of the offseason? And now here are these two guys, high-priced free agent veteran wide receivers who are out there right now causing some contractual difficulties for their teams and yet the Giants were able to pick up a premier explosive receiver in the first round of the draft in Kadarius Toney and did not have to necessarily go to the Brinks truck to get the money. Well, that's the beauty of the draft, isn't it? And, uh, and by the way, those those contracts are for, well, for, in his case, will be for five years. And um, so that's a pretty good deal. And, you know, the thing about it is, is that that's the beauty of, of your of your team if you'll be able to build through the draft because it does help you on your salary cap going forward. So... Um, you know, some of these other teams, I, I just feel like, you know, you look at the two receivers that you mentioned, those guys are legitimate, legitimate receivers. I mean, Robinson is a skyscraper, like you like to call him, right? I mean, he's mm-hmm. a really, I mean, but mm-hmm. uh, that's a lot of Well, he of and Gallo, I think him and, and, and Galladay yeah. were, were the two skyscraper receivers mm-hmm. that were on the top of everybody's free agent list. And the Giants, of course, were able to pry away. Uh, Kenny from the Lions, mm-hmm. and Robinson is now, again, stuck in a bit of a contract mess. But, you know, ultimately, I think, Jeff, you and I will both agree, ultimately, if a player really wants to play, he's got to tell his agent that playing is my top priority mm-hmm. and just go in there and make the numbers work because I want to play. Yeah. Enough of this, you know, I mathematical stuff. I get it, but it's it's difficult because you know there's there's that fine line because now okay I want to play Paul you're my agent Paul I want to play, but darn it you know what what happens if I get hurt this year Yeah I have my 18 million or whatever the cap number is for those guys, um, but what happens if I have a career-ending injury You know I guess and so a lot of these guys I'm sure are getting you know Lloyd's of London insurance policies. Um, I'm sure. And taking, you know, that money that they're getting guaranteed, by the way, and putting it towards a policy just in case something like that happens. But, you know, that's the problem. That's that's what they're afraid of. It's it's all about health. And, um, you know, and then next year they could have to do it again. They can franchise them again, remember. So that's just uh, – it's kind of a catch-22. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, right? I mean, it's a great it's a great honor to be able to, to have a franchise put on you. You're going to get the, the top money. And it's going to be guaranteed. But by today's standards, most of the money nowadays in free agency is all guaranteed. I mean, the draft pick money is guaranteed. Um, so I'm looking. That's the problem. And that's why a lot of these guys are just stuck on it. But they want to play, Paul. But some of their agents are still trying to hold them to get a lot of money. And they get part of it, too, by the way, because it's a mm-hmm. business. That is very, very big true. business for those guys. All right. Let's get to the phones because we've got a caller at 973-667-1960. Bash in Ohio, you are first up on today's show. Hello. 
How you doing, Paul? How you doing, Jeff? Hey, Bash. Hi. Well. How, How are, are you? you? I'm doing good. How are y'all fellas doing? Wonderful. Wonderful to have you on the show today. Thank you. Good. I wanted to talk about, um, I had two questions for you, Jeff, but before I get to those, I wanted to talk about what y'all just was discussing as mm-hmm. far as the franchise tag and the wide receivers, where if Godwin and Robinson were both available all in free agency with Galladay, how do you think the Giants would approach free agency with those three available? Who would y'all would have targeted and felt like best would have been for the Giants as far as if all three of those were available on free agency and the Giants had the money where they pay, where they got Galladay on a four-day, four-year contract? So out those four, would we still target Galladay or would the, one of those other two would have been a better option for the Giants? Or who would y'all would have targeted well, out those three? I think, I think first of all, you sit them all three down and, and you know, you kind of go over – um, what you like about each one of them and what your value is. I mean, each one of them may have a little bit different value, their age, how many years in the league, what they're done in production, what they're going to do in your scheme. And then, you know, maybe that might eliminate one of them. But, you know, they're all asking for a lot of money. That's just the way they do it these days. So it all has to determine where you want to fit into the cap. And so I think that's kind of where Galladay kind of fell into with the Giants. They said, hey, we're going to go out and get as a playmaker because that's what they wanted to do, and they were able to financially be able to do it. So I think those are the, some of the characteristics that you have to look at and some of the um, you know, some of the conditions, if you will, and then make a decision and then to see if they want to play here. They may not want to play here. Bash, I think the first thing that I would have done is taking Godwin off the list. It would have been between Robinson and Galladay for me because I've always wanted the skyscraper. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's just I, – I always want one of those guys in my room at all times. And the Giants have been void of one now for several years. So I would have told Godwin that he could take a walk and go somewhere else. And I'd be interested in talking to Robinson and Galladay and then try to find out between those two guys – who was going to be more agreeable to fit under my salary cap. Mm-hmm. And it's fortunate for the Giants that Galladay's, his first visit as a free agent was here. He, he didn't go anywhere else. He, he obviously wanted to come here, knew what the ballpark numbers were going to be, and they worked it out. So, you know, that says a lot to me. I, I You know, Jeff could tell you a little bit more about this, but for me – it's always going to be about the player's desire as well as his uh, appetite for the money. It's one thing if a guy just says, I'm going to take the best and, and highest valued contract anywhere, and that's going to be where I'm going to sign. That's one way to go about it, and I know a lot of players do it that way. Mm-hmm. But I'm more interested in a guy who says, you know what, I like what your team's doing. You know, if you're in the ballpark of what I think my market value is, I'm really concerned about who your quarterback is, what your offensive scheme is, what my chances are of going to the playoffs are going to be. Galladay obviously had a bunch of reasons for coming to the Giants besides the fact that he was going to get market value because there would have been, had he stuck around free agency for a while, there probably would have been a couple of other teams that would have been willing to talk about those numbers. Oh, sure. But he wanted to come to the Giants. And I, I really like that. So for me, it ultimately probably would have been Galladay between those three guys. Okay, and Jeff, um, I was watching something over the week as far as on NFL.com as far as a punt, about, about punters. And I thought about you. It was, um, the longest, it was showing longest punts in the NFL history and the shortest punts. They're showing about like 95-yard punts, 96 and 98. But I didn't see you in none of them. They were showing like the shortest punts being like negatives and five or six, 
five, less than five yards, about three, four yards, being mm-hmm. like, Plus, I wanted to ask you, Jeff, as far as what was your longest punt and your career and your shortest punt. <laughs> and the second question I have for you, well, I know you were talking a couple of weeks ago, I think, with Charlie, and he was bringing up with Devin Hester, mm-hmm. and he was bringing up about the punt returners back in the 80s and 90s. It wasn't that many compared to Devin Hester, and I was thinking about, I wasn't sure if he was punting or around the time with Deion Sanders as far as prime, as far as did you ever punt the hammer, did you ever punt with, um, with prime? Mm-hmm. And if you did, as far as ranking these three punt returners, as far as your experience with them or not experienced, as far as ranking these three punt returners, sure. as far as Dion Prime, Devin Hester, and D-Jax, and, De- and D-Shawn Jackson, and okay. I take those answers off the um, – Well, they're all, good, they're all yeah. good questions. Go to your ans- rankings first, Jeff, because I, I think ang- that's the most difficult one to do. I have answers to every one of those. Okay. And by the way, and, and yes, the rankings would be um, – Devin Hester, first of all, because by the way, Devin Hester was a full-time guy. You know, what I mean, he he's back there every single time. Um, it would be him, and then it would be uh, probably Deshaun Jackson, and then Deion Sanders. Now, Deion Sanders is dangerous, but you know, like I said, there was times when he was playing on the teams that we were in Atlanta and and Dallas. Those kind of he wasn't there all the time. So, but I always had to punt to those other two fools. Um, but they're, they're <laughs> and they're Fools. scary. They're, Fools. <laughs> they're, they're they are scary. And by the way, I just punted to Deion Sanders probably more at uh, when he was at Florida State than I did when he was in the pros. Um, and he was always a threat back there. I think he was number two. I think that's when he. I think that the number was. But um, so those guys were all. All of them were dangerous. By the way, and then the shortest and the longest. No, no, hold on, hold oh, on. I'm not yeah. letting you get away with this. Oh, you ranked oh. them in order, but you didn't tell me what was the biggest reason for the differentiation. Why would you put Hester above the other two? I put Hester above the other two because he could he could just take anything and make it into something. You know what I mean? The other I, two couldn't do that. I mean, they could, but I think if you had more opportunities, if we lined each one of those guys up and gave them ten kicks against all these, I think that the Hester would do better than all than all three of them because so. of his consistency in making yes. the play. Yeah, I agree. Yep, and um, and I saw it firsthand. <laughs> I, look, can, can I just say this, Jeff? And you know how I feel. You should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It bothers me immensely that you're not. Thank you. But <clears throat> excuse me. I also believe that Devin Hester should be. Well, I think one day it's almost like, you know, with um, – <laughs> listen, I think what's going to happen uh, a lot like the punting position, there's only one Ray guy. I think eventually there's going to be a returner, um, con- you know, position in there uh, or a special teams guy, whatever it is. But they're, they're, why not? They're, all, they're missing a returner. They got the punter. They've got the kicker. Okay, they're missing two other things. They're gonna. I don't think we'll ever see a long snapper in there, but I think that no, there probably that I don't be, think. I think that a returner probably may be in there if he's in it if he's done it consistently over the years. And like someone like Deion Sanders didn't do it consistently over the years. He wasn't a consistent returner. Devin Hester was. Deshaun Jackson wasn't either. You know, he was kind of one of those guys that you just put him back there. He was at the beginning of his career, but then you just put him back there when they needed to make a big play. 2010. That's a big play. Right. Mm-hmm. Put him in there. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's probably why, Paul. You know, I think, Jeff, uh, to me, as I go back and just think about it off the top of my head, Emlyn Tonella, the Giants, way back when, long Don't before remember. you were playing, yeah, was a phenomenal returner for the Giants. And obviously, you know, Emlyn's gremlins and everything else that he became, uh, he, he is a Hall of Famer. 
Uh, and I think the only other one who did a, a lot would have been Tim Brown of the Raiders. Brian he Mitchell. returned an awful lot. Brian Mitchell was a phenomenal. Yeah, but he's not in the Hall of Fame. No. Oh, no. I'm talking no, about okay. oh, guys, who, the are guys that are in the Hall of Fame. Guys who are in. Turners. I now, got you. Yeah. I'm now, sorry. Now, yeah. in there as a defensive back, yeah. okay. but he was a Hall of Fame caliber return yeah. guy, one well, of the best ever. Well, and Sanders, think, then, you know? couldn't, you, couldn't you say that about Tim Brown? I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame as a wide receiver, but didn't you think he was also a very dangerous return guy? Well, if I say that, I got to say that about Deion Sanders then, you know? Yeah. So, well, yeah. Although he didn't do it as much as Tim Brown. I, right. I thought Tim Brown had a much more sure. lengthy career in returning kicks than Deion did. did, no? And Tim Brown reminded me a lot of Amani Toomer. You know, they he did it. He did return kicks, you know, quite a bit, punts. Let's see um, here. I'm looking, for, I'm, years, looking at, I'm looking for Tim Brown. While you're Tim doing that, let me let me answer the other Pash's other question. So By the I'm, way, t- I, Tim Brown did return. Oh my God, you're not going to believe this. Tim Tim Brown in his career. Wow, <laughs> this is he returned over 300 punts and and o- almost 50 kickoffs. So wow. yes, I yeah. I knew he had done it a lot. I didn't mm-hmm. quite realize it was that many though. Paul, did did Dow Green return punts at some point? Daryl Green did return have. kicks for a little while. Yeah, he was so fast. For a little while. But it was not – I don't believe it was nearly That's as much. That's a good case study. I mean, that, that you could go back and really look at some of these players that – you know. Green had 51 we, lifetime punt returns. And what would you have to – I mean, so you I know, would have – 300 is a lot now over how many careers. That's what I mean. He had how many years in the league? 12, 13? Uh, 17 years in the league for Jim Brown. for 300. Okay. So and he returned over 300 career punts. Yeah. That's you know, to me, that that kind of qualifies him as a full-time punt return. Yeah, I mean, that's if right? you do 30, 30 punt returns a year for 10 years, that's 300. I mean, that's 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 getting it done. That's really getting it done. So, and there was a stretch of uh, seven consecutive years where he returned at least 29 punts per season. So that's that's a, that's a healthy amount. So yeah. I think I'm probably right in saying Brown and Tunnell, you know, could have qualified as a dual-purpose you could have given them just as well a punt return status in the Hall of Fame as well as their positional status. I'm sure if we went back and really looked into it, there's, there's probably, probably more guys we're missing. There's um, probably more. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, your uh, pro football reference ledger says your longest kick was 77 yards with Philly in 1991. Yeah, against Dallas. I remember that one. I hit the trifecta that day. And the trifecta in punting is this. Okay, you got mm-hmm. gross, net, and inside the 20. So you can get all three of those, right? I hit it on that one. That was a 77-yard punt in the old old Cowboy Stadium where they had the opening, and the, during a certain hour of the game, they always had that big, you know, there wasn't a shadow. It was where the sun was in your face. Mm-hmm. And I punted it, and whoever the returner was, I don't remember, right off his shoulder pad, rolled, 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 inside the 10, for a 77-yard gross, 77-yard net, and an inside the 20 <laughs> statistic. So I hit it on all those. I'm, I'm looking up the box score, Mr. Fiegel. Okay, We're so, going to find out exactly who right. it was. Well, the, now, this is – John's going to laugh at this. I don't remember <laughs> – I, I believe the shortest kick I had in my career was eight yards. I think that's what it was. It was definitely less than 10 and more than five. So somewhere in there. How would you shank it? Oh, just do you just left or right? Uh, right. It, most of the shanks go right for right-footed punters, John. You know, and it was just take your eye off the ball and off the side of the foot, and 
Boy, you talk about the most humiliating thing you can do as a punter is when you shank a kick like that. Man, as you feel like just so bad coming off the field. It's like because now you've just it's like a quarterback throwing an interception the minute the defense just got you the ball. You turn around and you throw a pick right there. It's like oh my god, you know. So, um, did you find it, Paul? Well, I I've got a guy here named Derek Shepard who had one return for one punt one punt <laughs> return yard in that Dallas game. So is that him? I, like I said, I don't remember him. I don't remember who it was, but it, it had to be right. So well, if it bounced off of his arm, then it ca- it qualifies as a return because James Dixon returned four kickoffs that day, but no punts. So I'm going. Then that was it. Derek Shepard. Derek Shepard, one yard return. Now the other thing about returns and punting that, but which is great, and I used to get this all the time doing a directional kicking, is that these guys would run over and try to catch the football as it was going out of bounds. They didn't exactly know where they were, and they would catch the ball and then step out of bounds. That's one return for zero yards. Right. That's huge when it comes down to net statistics and return. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, you got a one for zero. So, you know, if you got three for ten, you, you know, you got it's only your average is only five yards there, right? So, after three kicks, it's a lot of little, little stuff that you look at, but um, – that was a great. That was a good one, man. I tell you, I was so happy. But there's, I think, the longest punt in NFL history is. It might be. Is it ninety-eight yards? I know. I think it's ninety-eight yards. I know Randall Cunningham one had one. Yeah, yeah. Against the Giants, and it rolled about twenty-five yards. Yeah, well, it's gonna have to. <laughs> he was kicking from the east end zone at the old Giants Stadium, and he was backed up all the way to the end line. Third down, and he let it go. And that sucker just kept going and going and going, and then it hit the ground and kept bouncing forward and forward and forward. And I think forward. it was a third down. I think it was I, a quick I, kick. I can't honestly remember exactly what down it was, but I do remember yeah. when he did it, and we were all like looking at it and like, oh my God. I, I want to say that uh, uh, Steve O'Neill, the former Bronco and mm-hmm. Jet, had had the longest punt ever in NFL history. And and then I believe Cunningham, you know, wound up passing him with that one. So talk about average. That's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big one right there. You can add ninety eight yards on one one punt. My goodness. Oh man. Yeah. A lot of good punting stuff today. I love it. Very good. Thank you, well, Bash, for the uh, look, questions. I, I would I would almost believe that you planted that phone call. Uh, you almost believe that? No. <laughs> It's just the natural right. natural progression of people that after we start talking about football so much they want to go to punting. It's just the way yes, it goes. exactly. Nine seven three six six seven nineteen sixty is our phone number. Nine seven three six six seven nineteen sixty. All right, Jeff. Uh, one other thing that uh, I wanted to kind of touch on. We, we've talked a lot about how Daniel Jones has received a lot of support from the Giants during this off season, and CBS Sports had an article written by one Brian DiArdo. Uh, that just came out yesterday, and it was about the teams that helped their quarterbacks the most during this offseason and the teams that did it the least. And to no one's surprise, the teams that did it the least were the Green Bay Packers. Obviously, (laughs) the Aaron Rodgers situation has really kind of been very ugly, Mm -hmm. Uh, and that that wasn't real good, so you had to know they were going to be on the list. The Seattle Seahawks, and we all heard those rumors about possibly dealing Russell Wilson, although they seem to have quieted now. They're on that list. And the New Orleans Saints, 
Now that Drew Brees is retired, Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston are going to battle out for the starting job, and they certainly have not done a whole lot to add anybody there. So those three teams listed as the teams that helped their quarterback the least this year, the teams that helped their QB the most, the Cincinnati Bengals getting Joe Burrow back from last year's torn ACL, the Giants with all of the additions to help uh, Daniel Jones, and the Tennessee Titans, uh, we know that uh, they brought in Julio Jones from the Falcons. Hmm. So um, your thoughts in terms of not only what the Giants have done, which we've talked about a lot over the last few months, but how it seems as though they truly have gone to the extra mile as, as so few teams have done in the league this year. So basically, um, I'm, I'm a little confused. The, the Julio Jones, what does that have to do? Are you talking about what what teams have done for their quarterback, or right. wasn't there the backup quarterback situation here? No, no. Well, that that's that's a totally different oh, okay. list, so which we'll go what, over in a minute if okay, we have time. Okay. I, yeah. Okay. So but I Tennessee it. traded for Julio yeah, 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 Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To to to, to help, help out uh, Tannehill. Yeah. Okay. Ryan Tannehill. Yes. Well, I mean, my God. I mean, that's uh, if he can stay healthy, I think that'll be probably the biggest one, right? Um, and then, well, do, who, do you think that though? Do you honestly believe now that, that they sure. brought in? They brought well, and I think Julio Jones is outstanding. But you know, the Giants did bring in Galladay. They Younger. did. They bring in Tony in the draft. They did bring in Kyle Rudolph. I mean, that's pretty significant too, don't you think? Is that is that more than Tennessee or less? Well, I wasn't ranking them as number one. I was just saying that's a that's well, a big, I'm, I'm going to ask you to rank them as one, two, and three. Tennessee, the Giants, and Cincinnati. Well, so, I mean, Joe Burrow coming back. What did they do with Joe Burrow again? Who was well, it? Well, they, they, they went and grabbed Jamar Chase in the draft okay. with the well, fifth overall big. pick, that's you know, big. premier prospect. Okay. And they added offensive lineman Riley Reef and Jackson Jackson Carmen was a second-round pick. They had to do that because he was on his back all year last year. And, okay. and Dante Smith, their fourth-round okay. pick. Okay. So, so they added one free agent lineman. One wide receiver in the draft. Well, they're my first and pick. Two linemen right in the draft. Yeah, I, I, I would go, I would go with Cincinnati first, and then I would go New York second, and then Tennessee third, because I feel like um, the Cincinnati Bengals did more for their quarterback by multiple players coming in, especially Jamar Chase. He's going to be an amazing player. He might be the next Julio Jones. And then I think that the Giants did just, you know, not as much because they didn't do any linemen. We would have thought they would have had some linemen in there. I mean, they did have some free agent linemen, but not of the caliber that the Cincinnati right. Bengals brought in. And then I think with Tennessee, it's one player. Well, actually, to, to be fair, Tennessee also did bring in um, uh, Dylan Reduns, the North Carolina or North Dakota State tackle in the mm-hmm. second round. Yep. Whether or not he starts right away, I don't know. And then they also brought in journeyman receiver Josh Reynolds from the Rams. Yeah. But their haul, to me, was clearly below the Giants and the Bengals. They also lost Jonu Smith, the Titans, too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's true. Yeah, so, yeah. I don't know. What I mean? What are you? What, I, I I go. go I I I'll be three? honest. I, I'm 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 kind of thinking I might even take the Giants over the Bengals okay. because it, you know and, right. and I and I appreciate Jamar Chase for sure. I mean, we all know he was the best receiving prospect in this draft, bar none. And I, I I'll stand on that, you know, till till the cows come home. But having said that. You know, Riley Reef has had his better days. There was a time when, and I thought he was a pretty decent lineman, but he, but now it's it's kind of past those days, and I just I just don't know what they can expect out of the two linemen they drafted in the second and fourth rounds. So, 
to me, Tony, Rudolph, Galladay, you know, you, they also added Ross, too. Let's not forget they added John Ross, the Giants. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think I, it's a good discussion. I think that, that we the definitely Giants got might have, The Giants might have done the most for their quarterback. Can, mm-hmm. uh, can I throw a different team out there as a wild card? You can. How about the Chargers with Ooh. the way they improved their offensive line in front of Herbert? Mm-hmm. I know they didn't add receivers. It's not sexy. But they added, like, two all-pro caliber linemen. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that, that that, to me, shows you, you know, they're already stacked offensively. They just needed to give him a little bit more support at the line, right? So I think that I, I'm trying to figure out, John, what, like, what's going to help the quarterback more. Now, you could be an offensive line guy or you can be a, you know, a, a skill position guy. So – I don't know. I, I think it's a good. It's a good. I like it. I like it a lot, actually. Um, I would put them over. I would put them over. Tennessee, definitely, if we threw them in the mix. So. Well, they drafted Slater. I'm missing the other guy, John. Uh, they uh, signed Lindsley from Green Bay. Okay. The okay. center, right? The center. Yeah. Because yeah. I would. I know Belaga came in the year before. Yeah. They, yeah. They, yeah. I believe they signed Lindsay from. Uh, yeah. Green they Bay, did. They, they yeah. did sign Lindsay. They did sign Lindsay, and they drafted Slater. Uh, I'm, that's not enough for me to put them over the Giants or the Bengals. Right. Okay. That, but is it enough to put them over the Titans? I think Probably so. not. If Julio Jones can play a full season and they did add you know, two linemen themselves, yeah. I we'll probably see. would still say I, I would go Tennessee over, over the Chargers. All right. But, I mean, if, look – who knows what Julio Jones is going to wind up being this well, year? We, big, we don't, we, we don't know thing. that. I mean, we don't know that. And we don't know about any of these other guys either. You know, they all but, I, but I will tell too. you, and you know this, Jeff, you've been around this league a long time, and you've been on teams that had one and then didn't have one. A skyscraping wide receiver just changes everything. It really does. It, well, it, 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 I mean, especially if you have a room full of Smurfs. You well, put I mean, that skyscraper in there, it makes a big, big difference to your quarterback. Well, just to name a few, Terrell Owens, Plaxico Burris. I mean, those are some guys that come to mind, right? I mean, Megatron. These are guys that just, I mean, they will win for you. And they yeah. are fun to watch, boy. Oh. They are fun to watch, you know? Well, Out of those three, who was your – I mean, I look at those three guys, and I probably would have to say, even though the Plaxico you – know, I know he caught the winning touchdown for the Giants at the team that I was on. But I, I, I swear, I think that even though he's such a – just a total you-know-what, um, T.O. was a lot of fun to watch play football. Man, was he just something. He really was. You know, it's splitting hairs when you yeah. talk about the, what those guys did during mm-hmm. their prime years. Now, again, Burris did not have as many prime years because of what right. had happened to him. But, you know, during Burris's three and a half years with the Giants, he was as potent a weapon as anybody this franchise has ever had. Sure. Uh, and, and to be frank with you, a Pro Bowl caliber performances mm-hmm. during those three and a half years. And it's a shame he never got to go. But... Uh, as dominant as you could possibly be at the position. And and Megatron, unfortunately for him, played on so many poor Lions teams that, you know, unfortunately it didn't mean a lot. You know, ultimately mm-hmm. when it came down to results times, here was Megatron just doing what he did and, and so effortlessly, which it was just incredible to watch. And that, what was the net result? Because his teams were so poor. It was a shame. Mm-hmm. It's really yeah. a, a, damn, a damn shame, to be frank with you. But anyway, fun, 
Fun to watch, though. Tell you what. 973-667-1960 is our phone number here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. You can also hit us up at hashtag Giant Chat on Twitter. Uh, I did want to go to uh, a momentary transaction here because you folks have been listening to the Giants programming for a long time. Probably are unfamiliar with one of the guys behind the scenes who's one of the really good guys in the NFL uh, Corey Rush uh, came to the Giants from the National Football League where he was working with the communications department for the uh, AFC. And he got to the Giants a handful of years ago and has basically been one of our good pals because he's been the conduit uh, who provides the information to the media, the scheduling, the access to the players, really helps us out with all the kinds of things that we do on a regular basis to try to make our job as smooth as possible. And Corey has accepted a job to be the new VP of football communications with the San Francisco 49ers. The news actually came out a couple of weeks ago, but officially the Niners, I believe, announced it earlier today or maybe it was even yesterday. And so Corey has left the Giants uh, after a handful of years to go to uh, San Francisco. And I just want to publicly say Corey's one of the really, really nice guys in this league. Always did uh, enough to help us out, you know, whatever he could. Respectful, professional, good dude. And, uh, you know, very, very happy for him to continue his ascent up the ladder uh, in the National Football League. Yeah, well, I, I tell you what, if you can do a good job in New York, you can do a good job anywhere. That's for sure. So, um, yeah, he Corey was always the best. Um, still is. And very organized, made made everybody's jobs a little bit easier. Very understanding, as you know, Paul. Sure. Um, you can get hey to put uh, up with me. <laughs> to put up with a lot of people. <laughs> but I, you know, and not only the the organization, but outside the organization, you know. So you have the media. There's a, that's the conduit. And so he was the he was the guy that really kept everything afloat and uh, put a lot of fires out and and obviously put a lot of fires out before they even happened. And that's important. So wish the best to him. And his family, that's going to be great. Uh, it's going to go up to the Pacific Northwest and have a good time fighting all that rain. Good luck, Corey. Thank you. All right. So I wanted to get that out of the way because Corey's too good a guy to just let it go unnoticed. Yeah. And then I wanted to go back to a another CBS Sports story. And this was a column that came out, uh, I guess it was late last night, by Cody Benjamin. And he decided that he was going to rank the entire league's worth of backup quarterbacks uh, during the, the 2021 season. So it's a projection for this year. It's not necessarily what the guy's done in his career, although it is based on what the guy has shown to this point. Now, we'll get this right out of the way, okay? The the number 16 guy is the Giants' backup quarterback. That is Mike Glennon. How many he, did they go, Paul? How many? 32. They, they went 32. 32. Right. Well, because they wanted to give you the number two quarterback for each of the 32 teams. Yeah. And I, I think it's important just to note what he wrote about Glennon, and I'll, I'll read that to you so you don't have to click on it. He says here, there's a trend in this swath of mid-tier backups. Everyone is about on the same page, neither special, en- neither special enough to deserve number one duties, nor bad enough to be replaced. Glennon fits right in with an 83.5 rating and 27 career starts as a safer but predictable fill-in. And some of the other guys who are in his vicinity – are uh, 19, Tyler Henneke from uh, Washington, mm-hmm. 18, Chase Daniel from the Chargers, 17, Colt McCoy from the Cardinals, the former Giant who just signed in, uh, during the offseason, Mason Rudolph of the Steelers at 15, Chad Henney of the Chiefs at number 14, 
so, you know, that's the ballpark kind of guy that we're talking about there, right in the middle of the pack. And I don't have a problem with that. I think the Giants actually did well to bring Mike Lennon in. He's got a good arm, and he's, and he's still pretty young, too. I think he's just a tad over 30. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, the veteran presence, I know that Daniel Jones is a veteran, but he's not an older veteran. So, you know, I still think that there's always good to have some other uh, set of eyes and minds um, Glennon's been around, so he's been in systems all over the NFL. He understands the game extremely well. But the bottom line is, is why are you here? Um, the big reason is is that the, the, the Giants feel like if something happened to Daniel Jones, and whether it's for one game, two games, or the rest of the season, that they have a veteran. Because, by the way, I believe that the Giants organization understands that this team is going to be better than it was last year and have a chance to compete in this NFC East. So you want to be able to have somebody, if for some reason Daniel is not able to play, to be able to have some experience. So I think they have confidence in him. I think the price was right, and I think that that's probably where it goes. I, I You know, to, by the way, you got to have confidence that he can get you through a game and he can get you to the next game. And sometimes that's where you got to draw the line in the sand and say, do you want to go with a super young guy? And they can learn from each other then because Daniel Jones is still young. So. Well, one of the things I do like, besides mm-hmm. the fact that, that Glennon still has you know some nice, young, productive years ahead of him, he's not an old veteran by any means, is that no. he has started a decent sample size of games in the league before. So Daniel Jones can go to him as a resource because we're not talking about a journeyman backup who hasn't had much experience in the league in terms of on-field action. You know, it's one thing to say, for for example, Colt McCoy. Yeah, Colt yeah. McCoy had started a few games, but right. not nearly as many as, as Mike Glennon has. I think it's important that, that the backup or the big brother, if you will, to your young starter has played in a significant amount of games. I do right. think there's an advantage to that. Yeah. Absolutely, because I, I, I don't think that preseason really matters. I think it's uh, he was a starter in this league, meaning that he was the best on that team. And, and team game plan for him, he game plan for the other guys. And, you know, unfortunately, not everybody can be the Brett Favre's and the Tom Brady's of the world, right? I mean, so uh, he's found a position. And, by the way, backup quarterback in the National Football League isn't a bad way to go. I mean, they make some good money. They got longevity. Um, and they, they're, they're the kind of people that just love football. And most of them are good teachers. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they, mm-hmm. they understand the position and they're able to teach the guy ahead of them if they want. Uh, I think and Mike Lennon, I think, is probably that type of individual where he can show some of the things to Daniel Jones that his experience has taught him over the years he's been in the NFL. You want to take a shot at who the top three guys were, the top three backup quarterbacks in the league? Want to take a shot before we get to our guest? Well, Bridgewater's got to be in there. He was number three okay. with the Denver Broncos. Um, I got to believe that Nick Foles is going to be there in Trubisky. Well, let me see here. Hmm. Trubisky was number 12 with the Bills. Okay. Um, I, I'm, I have nothing in front of me, so I'm just kind of going off the top of my head. That's all right. Well, that's kind um, of what, what this exercise is. Foles first. is not listed here, so I guess okay. they're thinking Foles is a starter or a number three. I don't know okay. what they're thinking. So division-wise, um, I don't I'll see. Give, I'll give you this. Both guys are NFC. One okay. guy from the north, one guy from the west. Well, the the NFC West. Okay. Oh, boy. All right. So we got um, San Francisco. Right? Is that one mm-hmm. of them? 
And they went with Trey Lance as number one, believe it or not. Okay, so uh, there's that one. So Garoppolo is the second guy. Well, <laughs> okay, well, either one. You swap those two, you're still going to be pretty good. Um, and the other one was from the NFC North. Um, Chicago. Think along the same lines of what I just told you. Well, just see Packers, no Packers, Packers, uh, yeah. No, no, they, no. they went with the, they went with the Bears and Justin Fields as number two, okay. and Teddy Bridgewater was number three. So those are your top three backups uh, at because the really when you look at in the NFL this year, look according at Green to Bay, CBS, look at Green Bay you got Rodgers and Love. I know, but they He's didn't. A first they didn't round have draft pick too. But I I understand. Look, I didn't make the list. No, no, I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I that's why I went Packers. CBS I, I could, did. Okay. All right. Hey, it is time to bring in our guest. It is Jeremy Holt. He is the Trident University trainer with Athlete Performance outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate your time and hope everything is well. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Hi, Jeremy. Well, well, you know, I got to tell you, we have heard about these positional offseason programs that NFL players have been doing now for several years. And I know that George Kittle and, and Greg Olson uh, got involved with you to do this tight ends grouping now a couple of years ago uh, down outside of Nashville. So I guess from a philosophical perspective, when you guys bring these tight ends all together from around the NFL, what are your primary purposes to help them improve their games? It's all about transferring knowledge, honestly. I mean, everybody here has something to bring to the table. All these guys are the best at what they do. Um, and tight ends are one of the most overlooked positions just from a standpoint of what they're asked to do from a play-by-play standpoint. One play, you're asked to put your hand in the dirt and literally get into a dog fight with a Dominican Sioux who's 300 pounds. And then the next play, you got to shake that off and go run a strike route against Tyron Matthew and run full speed and, and act like you're a finesse guy. So um, it's just a position that you've got to be a jack-of-all-trades. So these guys come in. And we just transfer knowledge and give each other different tidbits of what works for each and every individual, and you put it all together, and you hope that you can become a better tight end for yourself. Jeremy, I got a question for you. So, how many years is it? Is it the you, um, the tight end you, been going on now? Is it three years? Four years? What? So, this is actually the first year that we've done a tight end you, and all okay. the credit goes to to Trav to George and to Greg for actually making it come to life. It's always been something that we've talked about. It's always been a dream. It's always been an idea. This has kind of been one of the hubs for tight ends in Nashville. A lot of guys come down here. They follow um, uh, George and what he does, and they follow the success that he's had. And George has been one of the biggest advocates of myself and, and helping get guys down here. So um, this was one of the, the first times that we were actually able to bring it to life and make it into – a summit, a symposium where we could get guys from all across the league to take a weekend to come down here and learn from each other. Does, yeah, we um, should mention when you said Trav, you meant Travis Kelsey. I didn't want to cheat him before when I didn't list him up top. <laughs> oh, he's a good yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to include, you, you gotta include <laughs> the big dog Travis, Travis yeah. too. He's the man. What What have you, um, just working with these guys, you know, I, I think – and I think probably Paul will agree with me and most people that cover the league and stuff. I think the tight end position has probably been the one position that has changed the most in the last 10 years as far as guys that back in the day had their hand in the dirt and used to run a little bit of routes. Now these guys are just – they're very athletic. A lot of them are basketball players. Um, what is the key component that you see all of these guys have, whether it's speed, agility, you know, ups and all that kind of stuff? What's the common denominator that you see all these guys nowadays coming out of college or even the ones that are in the pros who have? 
Well, I mean, all these guys, it's like you said, it's like the position has kind of changed, and they're all athletes. Um, I would think the biggest thing that I see that a lot of these guys have is just the selflessness. Um, they're all great guys. and The atmosphere is, was incredible. We didn't have one prima donna in the group. Everybody was wanting to learn and wanting to help and wanting to give information. And that's just something that you don't see from a lot of position groups across the board, right? Um, and so I think when guys come into the league and they have that, you know, just open mind, uh, I'm here to learn, I'm here to get better, and I'm here to help my team win. If that means i got to put my hand in the dirt and block, if that means i got to line up out wide, unattached, and run routes, I'm here to do whatever I need to do to help the team get better and win. I think that's the mindset that a lot of these guys are adapting to, and it's you know, it's creating a lot of success because now teams are able to implement them into their offense way more because they're willing to do more. Well, kind of building off of that question and answer, again, Jeremy Holt, the Chiden University trainer from Athlete Performance outside of Nashville, Tennessee, joining us on the show. Uh, Jeremy, what what is the the overall though mentality when these guys come to this school because you just said that they've got this spirit of of selflessness but it seems that today's tight end guys just want to make the highlight films and catch the passes and get on the uh, ESPN Sports Center shows and NFL Network as opposed to blocking do you guys do many blocking techniques and blocking drills or is most of it trying to catch the ball so most of the skill work that I do is strictly running routes and catching the ball, all the stuff that everybody loves to see. But one thing that I'll tell you about these guys that come down here is they spend just as much time in the dark doing stuff behind closed doors that people don't care about seeing, working on their first step in their blocking technique, working on how to fit on the second level in the run game. These guys are work ethic just monsters, and they put in the work and they all understand, and I think I'll give a lot of credit to my guy, George, for bringing that mentality. I mean, across the league, you would be hard-pressed, and I'm, I'm biased, obviously, but I don't think there's another tight end that does uh, both at the level that George does. I mean, he's a guy who you can literally put him on the front edge and have him lead blocking in the run game and run right behind him and then also have him run routes. And I think that's the mentality that a lot of these guys are adapting to. And like I said, I'm biased, but I'll give a lot of credit to that, you know, to George for just bringing that mentality and putting it on front street for guys to see. But, yeah, so to answer your question, I mean, yeah, I do a lot of the skill work with the route running and stuff like that, but I promise you these guys, as soon as we finish our session, they're like, hey, guys, let's go over here and work on some steps in the run game just before we take our cleats off so we can uh, make sure we stay sharp in that too. So they're working on that just as much. Jeremy, um, I had a, a brief career in the National Football League, and I know that there are some things that guys do to honestly try to get ahead of the competition every single year, whether it's techniques, whether it's nutrition, it's some sort of you know, exercises and things that they're doing. What are some of the things that the tight ends today are doing to one-up the guys that, you know, that kind of been around a little bit? Is it their training workouts? Is it there some new techniques that they're working on? What are some of the things that these guys are coming into this? And whether they do it at the tight end university or not, but I'm sure it's been discussed. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these guys, they, they leave no stone unturned. Um, mm-hmm. And the guys that you see that are taking it to the next level are the guys that are 100% bought in. It's totally a lifestyle. They're coming in. They're putting in the work on the field. And uh, we talk about it and we, and we joke about it. There's no such thing as overtraining. It's, it's just under-recovering. And so um, a lot of these guys, they train their butts off, but then they also spend a ton of time 
in the recovery room, getting therapy, getting rehab. We have some great guys down here that work on the guys and, and give them some good rehab. And then also one thing that uh, a lot of the guys are adapting to is just the mental health side as well. Um, these guys are doing yoga. They're meditating. They're really tapping into that next level of how to become an overall holistic better athlete, but not just a better athlete, a better person. And that way you can deal with just the mental side of football because once you tap into the physical side, now you've got to own the mental side. And people will tell you that football sometimes is more mental than it is physical. I mean, it's just one of those things where you have to literally change your mindset. You have to have a short memory. You could literally catch a 50-yard bomb across the middle of the field and then a hurry-up offense. you got to run to the line put your hand in the dirt, and if you're still hyped up off that catch and you miss your block on the next play and the running back gets hit in the backfield and fumbles, now nobody cares. So you have to have a short-term memory and be able to forget the bad stuff, forget the good stuff, not ride the roller coaster. And I think uh, that mental health stuff that these guys work on too is just just helping them take their game to the next level as well, along with the training. Jeremy, one of the articles I had seen recently, I know your, your school's just a couple of weeks ago, the uh, Trident University, uh, there was a, an index of the players who had attended. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but on that list, we saw three Giants, Kyle Rudolph, who was coming off of a, a foot uh, situation. We saw Levine Troy Lolo, and we saw Evan Ingram on that list. Now, they're different styles of guys. Ingram, much more of the receiving type of tight end. Rudolph, Incredible. a blocker. A blocker first, but also a guy who's got length and is really good at contested catches and grabbing the ball and fighting defensive backs to grab it. And then you've got Toilolo, who has always been known as your prototypical blocking tight end. Were all three of those guys there? And what can you tell us about what those three guys brought to the table and what they were working on? All, all three of those guys are, are very incredible in their own right. And one thing that we talked about um, – was being great at what you're great at. You're there for a reason, right? So Levine's there for a reason. Kyle's there for a reason. Evan's there for a reason. Um, we had Caden Smith here. We also had – Caden um, Smith was there as well? Caden Smith was So you here. had we all had four Cole. of the Giants' top tight ends on the depth chart? Cole Hicatini was here. Is he still up there? I think he's still up there. Wow. Um, yeah, so we had a good group of guys, and, and one thing that, like I said, that we talked about was being great at what you're great at, right? So if you're a guy who's there to block, be there to block, man. Be there to be the best block that you can be. Now, does that mean you can't get better at route running and other things like that? No. So all those guys did a great job of stepping outside of their comfort zone, but also owning the fact that, hey, this is what I'm good at, so when it's time for me to work on this stuff, I'm going to work on it, and I'm also going to help some guys with some steps in the blocking game. Or on Evan's side of the ball, you know, when it's time to run routes, I'm going to be great at that, and I'm going to help some guys there. And then when we start doing the run blocking, these guys are going to teach me some stuff. So it's one of those things, like I said, it just goes back to how selfless all those guys are. And we just we just created a great atmosphere where everyone could learn and, and gather and share information. You know, Jeremy, I'm I'm not trying to be funny. We all know that Evan Ingram has had some trouble with the drops during his career with the Giants. When you talked about earlier uh, with the receiving techniques, was there something that that he was working on uh, at tight end university that you think will enhance his skills there? Um, I would just say this about Evan. Evan Evan seemed, seemed to be, this is the first time that I ever met him, the hungriest individual that I've, that I've met in a long time. I mean, the guy was here to work, here to get better, super focused. It was not a vacation for him. Um, and, and I left here with the up, utmost respect for him. 
just for being able to block out any type of noise, any type of criticism that he's getting um, for for that and, and keep his nose to the grindstone and say, I'm going to control what I can control and I'm going to continue to, you know, put my best foot forward and, and make sure that when the opportunity presents itself, I'm able to make the best plays that I can and do the best for my team. And I think that's that's something to be said about him as a person and as an athlete. And like I said, this, this mental health stuff that these guys, you know, work on is, 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 is something that's going to take their game to the next level. We tapped into that. We had some guys get up and talk about that, and I think that was just, you know, super, super, super helpful. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I think it's a great idea, Jeremy. I think these guys, um, you know, they're all they are becoming good friends, and there's a fraternity at every position, all these guys that get together. And the more you can talk about your position, the more you can identify the things that need to get done, and, and more uh, importantly, it's it's I think it's great that these guys are willing to share some of their secrets, if you will, about how to improve. Because you know they're uh, they're competitors, and they're also exactly. they're also going to be playing against each other every Sunday. So I think that that's impressive, and uh, I think it's a wonderful idea. And you know, and uh, I think it's a great job you guys did down there. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, man. I, like I said, I give all the credit to Greg and George and, and Travis for for getting it together and making it actually come to life. Like I said, it's something that we've always dreamed of, and we know we joke about it because we have so many tight ends that make Nashville home for the off season. We're like, we might as well just call this tight end you. And then um, those guys got on the horn, made a few phone calls, and next thing you know, we got you know fifty tight ends coming down here. So. Uh, just extreme, extremely lucky and thankful and blessed to have guys like George in my corner um, who've been working with me since the beginning. So, I'm curious, Jeremy, you said that there were also discussions and, and a lot of conversation going on besides the training uh, that you guys were able to do on the field. Was there, was there someone who spoke specifically to what the position means to them and, and what other guys need to aspire to that kind of opened your eyes even a little bit more? Man, honestly, the coolest thing was um, Mercedes Lewis, who's, who's going into year 17. Yeah, he's um, been around a long time. And, and he was able to provide a perspective um, from just what it means to be a tight end in the NFL um, and carry us through his longevity and his career and his ups and his downs and his just process of how he's gotten to where he's gotten to and, and – that guy right there, man, he, he's a guy that uh, I wasn't in the room with him for too long, but you could tell everybody gravitated towards him, and, and he was a guy who definitely had a lot to offer from a standpoint of just standing up and, and helping everybody understand what it means to be a tight end in the NFL. And um, I know I know the guys like Rob and, and Dominique Daphne and guys in, in Green Bay are, are extremely, extremely lucky to have him in their room, and I don't take that for granted. Great stuff. Jeremy Holt, uh, tight end university trainer from Athlete Performance outside of Nashville, Tennessee. We thank you so much for your time, and it's, it's, it's good to hear that not every tight end wants to be a wide receiver these days, but they're just happy being the best tight end they can be. Exactly, yeah, man. All these tight ends are great, man. So thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank be you, well. Jeremy. Enjoy the rest of your summer. So Jeremy Holt with some very interesting information, and, and we now found out that it seems like the entire slew of Giants tight ends were down there at, at T, TE University, Jeff. Uh, when I saw that checklist earlier, I didn't know that Caden Smith was also a part of it. So that's, that's uh, quite an attendance figure from, uh, from Big Blue.
I think it's great. I mean, you look at every, and I think Jeremy pretty much summed it up. I mean, everybody has, um, you know, their kind of skill set, right? And so, you know, you look at someone like Caden Smith, who who certainly could be, he's, he's an athletic. He caught some really good footballs last year, and, you know, he certainly could be a dynamic tight end. But I think that, you know, most of the time he's he's got his hand in the dirt and he's going to do what he's got to do. But the thing about it is, is Paul, is that all of a sudden, you know, you you never know when somebody ahead of you gets kind of, uh, it gets injured and you're kind of like put into that position where now you've got to have to take the position over. And if you kind of have some insight about what, what it is to be that type of a tight end and get some of that coaching from these guys that carries a lot of weight, because I will tell you this, the more things you have in your bag of tricks and some of the things that you can do, and you don't, like he said, do, if you do it, do something really well, really learn how to do it real, real well. And then you can work on some of the other stuff. But I think it's just it's a great idea. And I think that, you know, this has been done with the receivers and the quarterbacks and receivers and things like that. And and in today's world with COVID and, you know, guys not be able to get together at the facilities as much as they have. I think this is probably something you're going to start to see with all the positions. I mean, the punters and kickers, they've done it before. Of course, we always throw a little golf in there while we're there. So that was kind of good. (laughs) <laughs> All right, so just to clarify, Ingram, Rudolph, Toilolo, Smith, and uh, Haikutini, uh, the, the San Francisco free agent who, I look, he's number five on the Giants' tight end depth chart, a guy that we don't even think about or talk about much, but let's give him credit. He was down there at tight end university with four other Giants' tight ends, so that makes a grand total of five of them who went to tight end university. And consider there's only That's 32 right. teams in the National Football League. That is a very high representation by Big Blue. Well, that'll wrap things up for today's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Again, our number uh, weekdays is 973-667-1960. We are live on Giants.com and the app from uh, 12 noon until 1 p.m. Eastern time. And you can always find an archive of this show on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. Jeff, it's been a fun program. We'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, thank you. For Jeff Puff Eagles, I'm Paul Dottino. We'll see you next time.